you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information visit commongroundcma.org. Okay, this ought to be fun. So I'm in the shower this morning, you know, doing this with my hair. And while I'm doing that with my hair, God all of a sudden decides to do that with my brain. And not my notes so much, but my brain. And so everything kind of got, you know, changed. And Brian said he's rewrote my sermon, but actually I think he's rewriting it. Uh, so we're going to see what happens here. That, welcome to the world of sermon preparation. You know, it never fails that if you start on Monday working on a sermon, because you know you got a big week and there's a lot of stuff coming your way uh, down the pipe, that it's a good thing to probably get your notes in order. But it's, you know, it never fails. The longer amount of time you give to put your notes in order, the more opportunity you give to God to say, hey, let's just change these things a little bit. But we're staying in the same text, so if you have a Bible with you, or you have a Bible app, or you have a neighbor who's not busy eating their animal crackers, um, you can look into their Bible. Second Peter uh, chapter 3, and I'm actually going to jump back a couple verses to verse 8. Second Peter Chapter 3 and look through that. I have to start with a question. What makes you say, come on, hurry up? Okay, I'm, I'm, bless you. I'm one of those guys that stands in front of a microwave. And I can remember a time when there wasn't microwaves. Okay? And, uh, and, and I'm standing there going, hurry up. <laughs> I want my spaghettios now. <laughs> so what is it that makes you go, come on, hurry up? And that is an audience participation question. What's that? Coffee pot. Coffee pot. Yes, they are not ever fast enough for me. Coffee pots. Jacob. Uh, slow walkers that decide to take up the whole sidewalk. Okay, slow walkers in front of you on the sidewalk, taking up the whole sidewalk. So, yeah, okay. So, driver, siblings in the bathroom. Siblings in the bathroom. Okay. All right. So, well, you know, they got to look sharp. Right? Yeah. Heard somebody yell out slow drivers. Will? I was just saying, wait, uh, people waiting on green light. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the guy back there, light's green! <laughs> what are you, Brian? Carmeline? You know. <laughs> Go! <laughs> Alright, what are some others? Sally? When I'm waiting for a trip that I'm excited about. Waiting for a trip that you're excited about. Okay, can't wait to go. Hurry up, let's get let's get here, Mary. Middle of the aisle, shoppers in the grocery store. Okay, don't get me started. <laughs> I was just in Safeway, almost lost my salvation just the other day. It's not good. It's tough. Wait until people get through the exercise machine so I can do it. Okay, yeah, there's yeah, there's some lunk up there taking up all your exercise time. Okay, we're gonna wait. Okay. About 90% of people in any superstore anywhere. <laughs> okay. Any, yeah, anybody. People in a store. Just, yeah. Okay, Jonas. Waiting for summer. Waiting for summer. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. <laughs> End of the work day, yeah. Look at that. Come on, clock. What is it about the clock? Does the does the minute hand get heavy as it approaches five? It just doesn't seem to move as fast as any other time. Okay, so lots of things that we tend to say, come on, hurry up, will you? Uh, I was surprised nobody said, uh, you know, for the preacher to get to the end of a sermon. You know, that kind of thing. Come on, just, just uh, when I was a kid, Christmas, 
Boy, Christmas was something that uh, just needed to, you know, get into hyperspace. I just love Christmas, and and uh, I can remember being uh, like seven years old, and Christmas Eve would come, and you, you knew you had to go to Grandma and Granddad's house and eat oyster stew. That's what we did, um, kind of thing. And there's so many things you had to get through to get there, and I'm just like laying on the couch, dying, wishing that would just hurry up and arrive. Well, that's what today's message is about, is what makes what makes us say, hurry up, will you? Um, and a lot of the times, and especially as Brian has seen when we watch the news and see what's going on in our world, I think we sometimes even think in our head, or maybe even say out loud to Jesus, hurry up, will you? Uh, we're just ready to check out. Let's let's get going here. And, uh, and and this is something that's kind of a perplexing thing for us as Christians because part of our church doctrine is Jesus is coming back. All right, he's he's making an encore. Uh, he he he's he's got a second advent scheduled, and it's and it's on the way. And we love as Christians to talk about that especially American Christians, because we think theology is top-notch over everything else. And I'm not saying that theology isn't, but we tend to misplace theology in our, in our Christian walk and discipleship. And so then what we do is we create these really cool timelines of the return of Jesus Christ. Have you seen some of those? Okay, I mean, they've got them all laid out. You know, here's the cross, there's the empty tomb, uh, there's the, the, the Great Commission, and Jesus takes off, and it's church age, you know, or missions age. And then we fight whether it should be called church age or missions age. And then usually there's something like uh, uh, the Great Tribulation, okay? And then this is where Christians start to fight because we, you know, oh, there's this thing called the rapture. Jesus is going to come. Trump is going to toot. We're going to scoot, and you know, up to heaven we go. Because that's really what, that's why I got into this whole thing anyway. Is let's get to heaven. Well, we hurry up. I want to get to heaven. Where's the cab? You know. And so we we, we treat Jesus like a cab driver coming along. Okay, let's go. Hop in. Don't worry about your luggage. Don't need it. You know, kind of thing. And, and, and so we kind of, well, maybe it's before the tribulation, maybe it's sometime in the middle of the tribulation, give or take a few months, maybe it's at the end of the tribulation. You know, and, and I love charts, don't get me wrong. I'm a chart guy. I mean, I just really love the fact that I can go into the back room there and there's a chart on the wall that tells me exactly where everything is in the cabinets back there. That's Laura. Okay. Brian makes charts. Uh, Brian's charts are usually a bunch of bubbles just floating around and bouncing into each other and things like that. I do not know how your marriage works, but <laughs> but charts are a good thing. I love. I mean, I used to teach in a, in a Christian school, and I loved going to the Book of Revelation. I would lay out all these timelines. I was like Brian with his whiteboard, and I'd have all these different colored markers between my fingers, and I'm drawing this all out. You know, and I had my favorite essay eschatological timeline too my favorite one was you know uh, the, 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 the great tribulation and just before the great tribulation Jesus says oh why don't you just come up here with me because I don't think you're tough enough to take it and I'm like yep trumpet toots I scoot let's go <laughs> you know? and, and I like that one because I, I don't like the idea of existing through the tribulation it doesn't look nice and then a really good friend of mine, 
who grew up in the same doctrinal background that, that I was introduced into, who I mistakenly thought had the same timeline, came up to me and says, no, I don't think it works that way. He says, I think the church will go through the tribulation. And I'm like, oh, heresy, no! You know, it freaks me out. I thought I had to, you know, get a stake or something and pound it through his heart. You don't say stuff like that. But the more we talked and we, we, he would show me scripture that made sense, I would show him scripture that made sense to me, and we'd go back and forth on this thing. And finally I thought, you know what? This is actually kind of cool. If God does, if Jesus does return after the tribulation, then he'll see us through it. And if he can see us through that, he can see us through anything. And I thought, wow, that was just kind of a, a bigger picture of God that I never had before. But here's the main thing that I need to say here, and I'm going to warn you right now, I'm probably going to make somebody mad. You might want to move your toes back under your chair because I might step on them a little bit. But your timeline of eschatol, escat, your, t- your end time timeline is stupid. And I don't care which one you have. They're just dumb. Really. Because we invest so much time into nitpicking and trying to figure out exactly when is Jesus going to come back and what are going to be the series of events that surround his coming back that we get totally off the mark of what we're supposed to be doing. I can give you eight historical views of Revelation that the church has held since Revelation was written. And I'll throw out the first one right now. It was a screenplay for a theater in Ephesus. Seriously, that's what somebody thought that, that, that that's what John was doing on Patmos. I want to be a playwright. <laughs> okay, but all the rest of them, no matter how they laid out and no matter how boneheaded some of the ideas are or how much you favor this one over that one, every single view says this. Jesus is coming back. And we didn't need that to know that because Jesus emphasized that several times in his ministry. I am coming back. So then, we get to... How did my Bible get upside down? Okay. So then, we get to Second Peter, the last message of the Standing Firm series, and we hear these words, and it pertains to what we were just talking about here. I'm going to begin with verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That means he's talking to believers. A community of believers. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, when you read that statement, if Jesus were to come to you and say, Hey, just a sec. We really don't know what to do with that. I'll explain that in just a second. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, me, us, beloved. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, which emphasizes the fact that we don't know when it's going to happen. Because, you know, if we knew when the thief was going to arrive, we'd be sitting on the couch with the gun loaded, right? Okay. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved... 
what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Okay, Peter is a pyro. Okay, he really emphasizes this burning up, dissolving thing. But I think we get the point, right? And that's that's uh, you know that, that's corroborated with other scriptures that it's, it's going to be a fiery passing of all of reality, all of creation, everything that God said, "Let there be" in Genesis, will suddenly be gone in a flame. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And this is where most of us, you know, sitting in the pews, gathered in church, go, I like that verse. New heavens, new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we read that and we say, come, come on, Jesus, hurry up, will you? Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you were not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, so much, so much is going on in that passage, and, and it's, and at least in my mind, it's so easy to just start thinking about all these different things that, that revolve about your return. And, and my own heart, my own spirit gets anxious for that. Um, I, I guess maybe it's probably because the older I get, the more I want to see your face and, and just hurry up, you know. And, uh, and, and these things can creep into us. And then we read that passage about how how people just get carried away with stuff and they end up going into error. And I think of so many famous Christian people right here in our country that, that get all about the equations of the secret numbers and codes and systems in the Bible and suddenly say, well, Jesus is coming back October 23rd. And, and then they end up looking like idiots on October 24th. And Lord, we don't want to do that because we want to represent your name. So Lord, help us to know what to do with all this information. Help us to know what to do about this this great anticipated hope of Jesus returning. And help us to know exactly what the scripture says, what sort of people we ought to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Just like you anticipate Christmas or, or, or a trip coming up, or or I can oh man I can remember when my cousins from across the state would come and visit. They're all a bunch of idiots, but it was so much fun to get together with them because things blew up. 
and uh, and you know I would I would I knew they were coming Friday night, but I didn't know exactly what time, and so I would just stand out there in my yard, and I'd hear a car coming down the street. Darn. And it seemed like I'd do that with like a thousand cars. And then you, you realize, just like when you're sitting, you know, like your kid's sitting on the couch, come on, Christmas, all right, ah, yeah. Um, or you're at work watching the clock hardly move, you know. You realize that just sitting passive is not a good way to spend your time when you're waiting for something. Okay? There's your main point. Sitting around just being passive while you're waiting for something is no way to spend that time. We learn that, hey, if you know, if I get busy, if I get occupied with something, it helps the time to seem to kind of go by, doesn't it? And I think that what Peter does in this passage is he gives to us several ways that we can see that, that, that there is something to do. Now, the weird thing, though, is time. Because, again, this is why I say our timelines are stupid. Like, we can chart God's plan and contain it and define it. Here's the thing. God is outside of time. And this always makes my noodle hurt just a little bit. God is completely and entirely outside of time. I can't even say there was a time before time existed. You see how that works? God is eternal. God in eternity booted up time to give us to live in it. How many of you complain about, oh, my cell phone, it's such a... It's like carrying a cinder block around with me. I feel like I'm just, you know, oppressed by this technology. Right? A lot of us say that. I say it all the time. I'm constantly tempted to see how far I can pitch it. Even if I did, I'd go get it. (laughs) See that thing? That's the first bit of technology that got us all wound up. Pardon the pun. <laughs> Did not mean to do that. Kobe would have loved that. <laughs> but, you know, you take this thing off, you know, when, well, if you don't have a cell phone, and you take this thing off, we get a little bit screwed up. You know, we need these things, boy. And it's controlling our lives. And you see, that's the way we are. We are controlled, we are constrained, and we are contained by time. But God is not. That's why he can say things like, well, you know, a year to me is like a thousand years, but a thousand years could be like a year to me because I don't work in time. God is exactly in our past, our present, our future, exactly, totally, completely as one can be. We can't do that. The day that Jesus Christ returns, he's already there. It's happened in his existence. I can't watch or read a book that's about time travel without wanting to cry because I can't figure it out. And then we've got God doing this going, okay, here's the deal. The day is appointed. The day that Jesus Christ returns is in my calendar. If God had a calendar. And then he says this to you and me as Christians. Hurry up, will you? Did you catch that in the text? What sort of people we ought to be waiting, anticipating, and hastening the day. 
There's no other way around that verse where it says hastening the day other than this crazy wild thing that this appointed day that God has set in his soup of eternity and time, he's given us the responsibility of when it happens. What? Yeah, so the whole time we're sitting there telling God, hey, come on, Jesus, hurry up. Please, this would be a good time to come back now, all right? You know, especially because I got this five page paper that's due on next Sunday, and uh, I want to go to the picnic. <laughs> come on, Jesus. And he's like, hey, you, hurry up. Hurry up. What do you, hurry up at what? Well, what sort of people ought we to be? Here's one of the first things that he says to us is that we should be found in verse 14. We should be found pursuing holiness and godliness. That's what we should be busy about right now while we're waiting for Jesus to get back here. Be busy about pursuing holiness and godliness. And here's where we really make a mistake as Americans. We think that this is an individual command. That's just about me doing this. And in the context and in the culture in which this is written, it was do this communally. He's saying body of Christ together pursue holiness and godliness. And I think what what Peter's trying to get across to us here is that that in order to live a, a, a life without spot or blemish and to live at peace with one another and people around us is that we should be standing firm in a discipleship process. A discipleship process. And, and we don't get that very good here in the American church either. We talk a lot about discipleship, but we really don't know how to do it. We think, okay, well... We need you to sign up for Bible studies so that we can disciple you. Now, I'm not knocking Bible studies, but a Bible study is not a discipleship process. And in fact, sometimes we get the cart before the horse. We want to make sure you understand theology proper, church history, um, we, uh, Christology, pneumatology, the Holy Spirit, uh, hardiology, uh, the doctrine of sin. We have all these doctrines. We really want to make sure you understand, and that's a good thing. But the problem is, is we tend to, in the church, cram you into a theological seminary-type classroom setting before we teach you how to be a loving, obedient disciple of Jesus Christ. Go and be baptized. Go do that before you get into a theological study. Love your neighbor. Go start doing that before you get into these deep theological studies. There are so many things that you can do the instant you give your life to Jesus Christ and be active for him and serving him. You don't have to go and get theological training to do that. But what happens is we don't teach ourselves how to follow Jesus Christ and walk the same way that he walked amongst people, the way that he walked amongst people. We instead just get into a classroom setting, we open up our Bibles, and then we turn into passive learners. Well, got that book, better go find another one. And we get caught in this endless cycle of just passively taking in God's Word, learning more and more about it, filling up our head with all this theological knowledge, which again isn't a bad thing, but we're doing nothing. And God says, hurry up, will you? So the first thing probably for us is just to learn to stop the cart, <laughs> get the horse where it belongs. Yeah. 
and, and, and to say, how can I be a more devoted, loving, and obedient disciple of Jesus Christ? We, we need to learn how to do that together. The second thing that he says, because, because the end is coming in such a way as it is, is, is that we should be found um, uh, anticipating this. And, and we should be doing that communally as well. Now, please understand, I'm not throwing out theological study because after we learn how to be a good, solid follower of Jesus Christ and active, active in our faith, then it's a good time to, hey, how, teach me more about church history. Teach me more about what the Bible says about the doctrine of sin or the depravity of man. Teach me more about who Jesus Christ is. Teach me more about uh, what angels and demons have to do with all this. Teach me more about the end times. Because I'm supposed to be an active, devoted, loving, obedient follower of Jesus Christ, taking the gospel into this world, so I better know what I'm talking about. Okay? So that's part of our waiting. Is training and learning and knowing how we can better communicate firm doctrine into a declining society. And then the third thing that Peter gives us is get busy. Get busy making the coming of the Lord Jesus occur. And we should be doing this communally as well. Because no man can do it alone, no woman can do it alone. The church, the body of Christ, is God's chosen vehicle for us to hasten the day of Christ's coming. Well, well, how does that what does that look like? Well, in the very last verse, it says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There's, there's something in there. Grow in grace. And, and that's not just me growing in grace. Oh, I've got a lot of grace now and I need it. Whew, boy. No, it, it's about expanding grace into this world. Growing the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not just about me filling up my head about stuff that I need to know about Jesus Christ. It's about expanding the knowledge of Jesus Christ in this world. So it's at this point that Peter's saying, hey, stand firm in God's passion. Stand firm in God's passion. Remember what it said at the very end? The very last verse. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. We really don't understand God's passion. <clears throat> you know, just the way we talk as Christians. You know, we want to know what God's will is. You know, who does God want me to marry? What is God's will for who I should marry? Guess what? God's not passionate about that. Well, my job, my career, I should have a good job, I should have a good career. Yes, I, I, I should invest in that. I'll search the scriptures and see if God has a script for me that will help me to know that I found the right job that will give me a substantial salary. Oh, so I can give to missions. God's not really passionate about that either. My friends, I should be careful about the friends I choose to surround me with because some will tear me down, others will build me up, and that kind of... Yeah, okay, well, God says that's good, but it's not really where I'm, I'm passionate. Uh, I should seek to find the right church. God, what is the right church for me? 
Where should I go where I can worship you and grow in my knowledge of you? God, God's like, that's not where my passion is. Now, I'm not saying those are bad things, but what I'm saying is, is if we don't understand what God's passion is, all the rest of that stuff is dung and doesn't matter. But once we learn what God's passion is and we pursue God's passion with all of our heart, then all of those things begin to fall in place without us having to get all wound up about them. God's passion. When you read the Bible, God throws his passion at us constantly. Hey, Adam and Eve, get busy. (laughs) Go forth and multiply. And scatter over this earth. Why did he tell them to do that? Because God likes happy families with tons of happy little children? Yeah. But something bigger than that, Adam and Eve, you know who I am. Go cover this earth with the knowledge of my name. They didn't do that. Then the earth declined into evil with all the generations after Adam. So God covered the earth with a flood. Said the same thing to Noah and his sons. Hey, go forth and multiply and cover the earth. They didn't do that. Instead, they they centralized into one area and they decided to build a great big monument to themselves called the Tower of Babel. And so God says, well, I guess I have to help you scatter. And so he did. And that's really been the whole story of the Bible all the way up to this day even, is go forth into this world and multiply. Jesus said it. Go and make disciples. Make loving, obedient, faithful, devoted followers who will walk the same way that Jesus walked, even if they don't have their theology all right in their head yet. Go and do that. But are we? You know, right now in Africa, in spite of economic stagnation, incredible hardship, and decline, African evangelicals have sent out 13,000 cross-cultural missionaries, and millions of Africans are responding to the gospel today. Some of these cross-cultural missionaries are coming back to the United States to bring the gospel to the people that brought it to them. You get that? Missionaries are now rebounding back to us. In Asia, 83% of the world's non-believers dwell in Asia. Does that sound like a big mission field? Yet in the last 100 years, the number of believers have grown from 22 million to nearly 400 million because Asian believers are taking the gospel from one nation to the other. They're doing it. We call that the majority world. That's pretty much anything that's not the United States and Europe. They are reaching the world for Jesus Christ. The same can be said of Latin America, the Pacific, and the Middle East. Today, the non-Western world is sending out more missionaries than the Western world is sending out. Mongolia. 
sends out one missionary for every 222 believers. That's, that's your average church. Every church has a missionary. That's amazing. And, and did you know it's the Mongolians that are coming back over here to, to the United States to, to win our, our native brothers and sisters? Because they're of the same people. That's how they view each other. We are of the same people. You see, what these people are doing all around the world, except in the United States and Europe now, we've seen to decline in this, is they are following God's passion, which is He wants to make His name famous and to be glorified in every people and every nation of this world. That's His passion. And if we figured that out, and if we lived according, if God's passion was our passion, could you imagine what that would do to our lives? Could you imagine what that would do to a church? Could you imagine what that would do to a community? Could you imagine what that would do to an entire people group? I don't have to imagine. It's happening in Africa. It's happening in Asia. (coughs) It's happening every single day in Muslim communities. Entire families and villages are coming to Christ. Everybody's hastening the day, except us. Jason Mandrick wrote this in The State of the Gospel, after telling us all about what's happening around the world. He says, Yet it is shocking and scandalous that an ostensibly Christian country remains to be the world's largest purveyor of pornography, violent movies, godless consumerism, and cultural shallowness. The American church often, too often, falls victim to the same cultural trappings, failing to make the impact on society it should. That, that information leads me to ask, am I... Am I hastening the day or am I the cause for delay? We would do well to remember who's the one doing the patient waiting in this text? It's God. And who's he patient towards? (coughs) All those sinners out there that haven't made up their mind about Jesus? No, he's patient towards us. Because all those sinners out there who have not made up their mind about Jesus, he wants them to be saved. He wants them to know His name. He wants them to walk in His glory. So if you want a timeline for when Jesus Christ is going to return, memorize Matthew twenty four fourteen. And the gospel of this kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then... The end will come. Then. But not until then. And we can't make Christianity all about us. And church all about, uh, I can be a better Christian. When there are millions upon millions of souls crying out in every corner of this world, saying, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? Isn't it interesting that, at least in my viewpoint, when I read the Bible, I really like that part about come, 
Come, Lord Jesus. And totally ignore the part where he says go and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, when did we begin to think that following Jesus had exclusive offers that could be rejected? Lord, would you remind us today that following you means that we must obey the commission? Um, to, to, try to, to try to not fulfill the Great Commission as Christians would be like trying to, well, be like trying to bake a cake with half the ingredients. Lord, when did we decide that it would be okay to look forward to, to coming to your banqueting table and feast on the food meant to be shared and be okay with so many empty chairs around that table? Chairs that could have been filled by the invitations that, that you gave us to, to take out. You told us, go out into the highways and the byways and, and invite them in even the most marginalized of society. Lord, how can we be content to sit at that table knowing we're still carrying the invitations in our pocket? Lord, when did we ever begin to think it's okay to say, come Lord Jesus and hurry up, will you? Well, we're ignoring the fact that you told us, go. Go into this world and make disciples. Father, we've already heard it in that video and in so many other ways. It's already been said to us that there's, that, that there's countless ways that we can be about hastening the day of your coming. So Lord, don't find us here passive, but instead find us active. Find us being about taking your name everywhere we go, knowing that it will reach the nations, even if it just means going outside our doorstep and next door. Lord, show us. Show us your passion for this world. And don't let us be content with anything but that. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.